0: Sex. Throughout the Bible, it's proclaimed as a good thing. A profound expression of love that forges a unique and powerful bond between a man and a woman. But along the way, something went seriously wrong. When humanity left their perfect and life-giving relationship with God, sin entered the scene and infected everything. Sin caused people to become disconnected from God, from each other, and from themselves. Sex, the ultimate connection between men and women, couldn't hide for long. Sin grabbed hold of sex and transformed it into something completely unrecognizable. This new form of sex had nothing to do with respect or commitment, and everything to do with lust and control. It was no longer about two people becoming one. Sex became about the desires of the individual, a way for people to get what they want from one another. To put it plainly, sex became a transaction. And so sex strayed further and further away from God's original plan. Fast forward to today. And sex is everywhere. People are obsessed with it. Sex, which used to be a good thing, became an ultimate thing. Something that validates one's very existence and a reason for living. And with its new and elevated status came many promises. Promises it couldn't deliver, leaving an entire society feeling empty and disillusioned. But like any addiction, the answer is always more. More relationships, more romance, and of course, more sex. And it's in this endless search that we find ourselves. Sex is clearly broken, but it isn't the real problem. It's simply the crack on the surface. The real problem of sin goes much deeper, and its consequences are far more devastating. Here's the good news, though. There's still hope. God can redeem you and your sexuality. Sex can be a good thing again.
1: Well, I want to start off by uh, thanking Dale for assigning this morning's topic to me. <laughs> actually, it's, uh, it's actually no problem for me to share with you this morning because, you know, often with churches and it comes to this topic of sex, as churches have traditionally taken a couple approaches, one is the approach of to just not say anything at all, to kind of act like, okay, we know that this exists, but let's not talk about it. Or often churches will take the approach that begins something like thou shalt not. And often we only talk about sex in the, the negative light or what it shouldn't be as some sort of controlling or uh, it's something that we do to try to kind of keep people in line. So today it's actually uh, my privilege to speak to you and teach what does the Bible teach about sex? What does it say about it? Because it's everywhere in scripture if you've read it. Now, I know some of the high schoolers just said, I need to be reading the Bible more. But uh, it is all over in there. And so this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend a little bit of time looking at what is God's design? What is He? What was he thinking when he created sex? So what is God's view of sex? And then we're going to take some time to look at the reversal, because this is in the middle of a series called The Exchange. And Dale introduced it last week in showing how culture has had a history from the beginning of exchanging the way God has designed or planned things for the way we want to do them. And so we're going to look at what that reversal looks like. And finally, we will end with some hope. And when this subject comes up, I know for some of you in here, you immediately are thinking maybe there's some hurt, maybe there's brokenness. Some of you, there's shame. Some of you, there's guilt. And you hear this subject in church and you think, oh, great. Now you're going to tell me how bad I am. But the truth is we want you to know that there's hope and so we will end with hope So bear with me for the rest of it. Okay. Got it All right. High schoolers got it. Yeah, we can't hear them. We'll assume they're listening. All right <laughs> Let's pray God we uh, We thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you deal with every issue we deal with in uh, the writers of the bible Um, There's real life real people and we thank you that there's hope in the midst of all this In fact, there's really great joy in the midst of all of it. So I pray this morning god that you speak through me and you would uh, speak hope and and encouragement into our hearts this morning And for some there'll be convictions that we need to follow and surrender to you and I pray this morning god that uh, That could happen here And we give you this now in your name. Amen by the way, if this is your first time visiting Seacoast today, welcome. <laughs> it's not always about this, but at Seacoast, we do want to deal with truth and real life. And if it's in the Bible, we teach it. So that's why the subject has come up. So let's begin by looking at God's view of sex. What does God think about sex? So I invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter one. There is an outline for those of you who like to follow along in that. God's view of sex. Let's begin with this. God begins with the idea of sex, that sex is good. Now, I know some of you guys in there are going, amen, right now. So, sex is good. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God begins. He just created male and female in verse 27. In verse 28, he says this. It says this. God blessed Adam and Eve and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, this is a PG-13 morning, so I don't need to explain to you what it implies when it says be fruitful and multiply, okay? But it has nothing to do with, with a test tube and cloning, okay? So be fruitful and multiply is the very first instruction given to man and woman. The very first thing God says to them is go have sex. Hey, I didn't say it. It's in the Bible, okay? I'm just being a good preacher. So it's in Scripture. It's a first command. That he gives god says hey, this is a good thing and I want you to do that now some of you would say well, of course, he has to say that because The human race depends on it. If you don't do this, then we'll die off after the first people So let's look at genesis 2. Is there something more to it than just having children? genesis chapter 2 We'll pick it up in verse 24. This is another account of creation just kind of an expanded view of it And it says this in verse 24 of Genesis two, for this reason, and the reason that man and woman are together, man will leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So man will leave his father and mother and begin a new life with his wife and the two shall become one. And this is not just speaking about a physical union, but certainly that is implied. The two shall become one that the very act of sex in the marriage context here Now allows them to be as of one person There's a connection here that happens that's deeper than just physical See in this case here. This is not just about body parts. This is something deeper going on. There's something spiritual going on Throughout scripture. God uses physical things to give a symbol of the spiritual realities this morning we partake took in communion. We ate bread and had some juice to remind us of a spiritual reality of what Christ did for us. It's all over in scripture. So when man and woman have sex together in their marriage context, the two become one. And they are bonded spiritually as well as physically. It's a good thing. Now, let's see what else happens here. Verse 25 says, and the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. So the way it was designed, now here's Adam and Eve, they are naked, they're living in this place called the Garden of Eden, which in Hebrew means the Garden of Delight, and they're naked and they're not ashamed. There's no guilt, there's no like, oh my goodness, did you see my love handles? I do not want her to, just turn off the lights first and come in here. There was none of that going on. They were naked and unshamed and they were in a garden of delight. They were enjoying this. God designed something and said it is good and it's more than just to have kids. It's to unite you spiritually and it should be a delight when you're together. I want you to notice something here. The Bible begins when He talks about sex with a great big yes. It's a good thing. In fact, notice that this point there's no sin. We were sexual before we were sinful. See, so often we look at sex and just think of it as, oh, all the sins that are attached. But we were sexual before we were sinful. So God said, no, this is a great thing. Don't be afraid of it. It is good. It is good. And that's how it's designed. Next thing about sex, according to scripture, is that sex is also very powerful. It is powerful. It's enjoyable in its intent. It has the power to unite a relationship. And we know and have seen that it also has the power to destroy. It has a power to bring great joy and intimacy like nothing else can. In Proverbs chapter 5, I don't recommend this as the family, uh, the verse to reflect as a family this week. But in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, it says this in your Bibles and mine. I didn't make it up. It says, talking to a man, he says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breasts satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. There's some high schoolers who just said, I really need to start reading the Bible more. Yeah, they love that verse, right? So, But it's saying there's such power in this. Be exhilarated with the wife of your youth. This is not something to say like, okay, just grow used to each other. This is saying foster a relationship with each other that you can still have, you're exhilarated. You're exciting. I don't know what you know about exhilaration, but it's actually kind of enjoyable, I think. But then it says in verse 19, I'm sorry, in verse 20. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress or embrace the bosom of a foreigner? Which is a way of saying anyone who's not your spouse In other words, don't start to think oh I can find in the same sort of enjoyment other places Why would you do that? Why would you do that? I worked in youth ministry for many years and and often I would hear the question or the statement that said something like I don't know. I mean, I don't really want to just be with one woman my whole life. That sounds kind of boring And I used to, that would always remind me of when I was in fifth grade, my teacher said, nothing is boring. There's only boring people who make it boring. And, okay, a couple of you got that. But uh, so I always thought, you know, if you get bored having sex, we have some other issues to talk about, but I don't know. So some people, if you use the argument, well, I don't know. Just one woman, is that—is that satisfying? Scripture would say, make sure that you foster a relationship where that can be satisfying. Because it's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. It's also very beneficial in its power. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I have you turning all over this morning because I want you to see that this is not just one passage in Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 2 begins. It says, because of immoralities, which is the word porneia in Scripture, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but you can probably figure out what modern word we get from the Greek word porneia. Each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. Now, please keep in mind, this sounds kind of basic, right? Just have your own husband or your own wife. Just stick to one, okay? But Paul's writing to a culture, the Greco-Roman culture, where that wasn't always so, you know, set in stone. It was a culture that was very kind of promiscuous at times And if you think that the sexual revelation or liberation movement happened in the 60s and 70s That's a few thousand years after it actually happened I mean mankind has always been this way But the greco-roman culture was quite sexual Paul is writing to the church in corinth that had some real particular issues with their sexuality In fact those before they followed christ sex was often used in kind of these big group parties So it made sense for Paul to say, stick to your wife, stick to your husband. No swapping, no switching around. In fact, there was a Roman custom called the Roman Symposium that often was used for um, boys when they were to become men, their rites of passage at age 13 or 14. And it was kind of a drunken party that included sex slaves that were a part of this. That's why when Paul writes to the church in Corinth and in particular also to the church in Ephesians or in Ephesus. He tells them, Hey, when you're gathering as a church, don't let immoralities exist among you. Don't get drunk. And you're thinking, okay, well that means life in general. He's even saying when you gather as a church, don't have sex with each other and don't get drunk. And you think, why do you have to say that? (laughs) Uh, Isn't that kind of understood in their culture? They weren't Christians when they became Christians. They were used to gatherings in public That would be kind of like that. So he said, oh now that you're Christians. Hey, let's have some guidelines of how you live I know you thought we were messed up (laughs) But he says everyone have your own spouse and then in verse three the husband must fulfill his duty to his wife And likewise, the wife to her husband. Now, these duties they're talking about is not mowing the lawn and doing the laundry. Unless those are code words in your home, which I won't get into. (laughs) All the high schoolers are like, oh, that, oh. (laughs) Moving on. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Men, the verse keeps going on. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. This is a reminder that there's a spiritual connection, that the two become one. But This is just not about you getting what you want when you want it. This is not about lording it over each other. It's not about being manipulative. This is not about trying to gain power or hold power. This is about loving one another. Knowing that the two have become one verse five says stop depriving one another except by agreement for some time So that you may devote yourselves to prayer So if you don't deprive each other unless you agree that for a time we're going to devote ourselves to some spiritual growth And however long that takes for you, you know, that's an agreed upon a time But then he says but come together again So that satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control You see, God's also very practical. He understands that sex is powerful. Paul understood, and Paul was a single guy, by the way, who said, I get it. Not all of you could go through life being single like I am. But he says, within your marriage relationship, know that sex has a power to unite you and to divide you. So know that this is something that you need to come back together again so that Satan doesn't tempt you. This is something that can actually assist in your own purity. It's beneficial. There's that spiritual connection, that intimacy, and that joy. So God says sex is good. God says sex is powerful. And then he also says that it deserves protection. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verses 4. I know some of you in here this morning are maybe single- and you haven't been married before, and you're out there, and you're saying, I really don't, I should have stayed home this morning, I don't like this. We'll get to you in a minute. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 13 verse says this, the marriage bed is to be held in honor among all. Notice not just to those who are married, but held in honor among all. In other words, we're, we're to, as a church, protect each other in their relationship. And it says the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers. God will judge. And really what he's referring to here is saying that sex is designed within the context of a marriage relationship. Now, some of you and I've had people argue with me. Well, that doesn't really mean that doesn't mean what I think it what you think it means. That doesn't mean that you can only have sex. Uh, it just means once you're married, you can only have sex with that person. Well, I need to let you know something about Scripture. Uh, let's, look, In fact, let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. I'll convince you here in a minute. Ephesians chapter 5. It's so much easier now with digital Bibles, isn't it, for some of us? But immorality, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3 says this. But immorality or impurity or greed must not even be named among you for it is improper improper among the saints. Now this word for immorality, I mentioned it earlier, is the word pornea. Pornea is used in scripture 55 different times. 55 times the word pornea, usually translated immorality, is used in scripture. Pornea is a word that related to sexual activity outside of marriage. Sexual activity outside of marriage is how that word is used. So if you come to me and say, well, in English, it doesn't say that you can't have sex outside of marriage. I challenge you go read Koine Greek, learn Koine Greek, read the New Testament and come back to me and let's talk about it. Because 55 times scripture says pornea should not be Part of your life in other words sexual activity outside of marriage that includes if you are not married That would include you If you are married and the person is not the one you're married to that includes you If you are looking on a website at people who are not your spouse and enjoying that that includes you Am I making friends this morning or what you know (laughs) It's in scripture Marriage is a sacred thing. It's a powerful thing. You know, I I know some of you then would say, well, Ryan, it sounds like the Bible is just a downer. I mean, come on. But, you know, anything that's real powerful requires guidelines. I remember in seventh grade, that was back when we had woodshop in class. Anyone had woodshop growing up? Remember that? So woodshop, I remember walking in, and I had my woodshop teacher was the same one. They all come from the exact same school, right? They have a button-up, uh short-sleeved shirt, and they have a mustache, and they usually have pit stains, and they're missing a finger. And that's, you know, that that's your woodshop teacher. And every time you got to use a new tool, you had to like spend a week watching videos and learning all the things that could happen, right? It's like, we're going to use a chisel today. And you'd learn that if you use a chisel, you might put it through your hand, So don't do that. Or you're going to have something fly up in your eyes because things that are powerful require guidelines so that they're not abused and you don't get hurt. It's the way it is. He wouldn't say, hey, seventh grade boys, check that out. That's called a bandsaw. Go after it. See what you can make. (laughs) Because 7th grade boys would do that, right? But you had to watch a video of the guy who did it and lost his arm. And you go, oh, don't want to lose my arm. You guys remember that, right? The reason is because things that are powerful require guidelines. Sex is designed by God and it is very powerful spiritually and physically. That's why there's guidelines. That's why there's guidelines. Because it's so much more powerful than some of us assume. Now, some of you are saying, but Ryan, come on, what a downer about all this. I mean, how do you know if you're going to get married if the two of you are compatible? How do I know? Like, what if I'm i not experienced? Maybe I need to get a little experience before I get married so that sex will be better. I've heard that. Allow me for a moment to go with a little illustration. My wife, I need to warn you, told me that this illustration was really lame. So, um, but... We're gonna go with it anyway. Uh, so Roxanne, fire up the PowerPoint. Here we go. What we have here is a fine automobile. <laughs> this is a Chevette. Check it out. It has it. It even has a beauty bark on the side. I mean, this is this is nice. Think of this as your sex life, okay? Now some of you are like, that's pretty accurate. I got a little more rust than that, but okay. Um, think of this as sex. Again disclaimer my wife already said this is a lame illustration but Track with me. All right. So now if you were told that hey when you get to drive you drive a chevette That's what people drive. We get chevettes. That's what you want a car. It's a chevette. That's what we drive And so you get your chevette and you're like, this is so great. This is so much faster than walking This thing look at it around the corners. It's even kind of fun. I can throw the groceries in the back I mean, this thing is awesome Look at this thing And you have your chevette and it's great No problem. And you don't care if other people have their Chevette's because you have yours. And having a Chevette is a fun thing. It's a good thing. Now, every once in a while, you might want to wax your Chevette and make sure you keep it in good shape. You know, you need the oil change. Sometimes maybe some premium gas put in there. I don't know. But whatever it is, you have your Chevette. You take care of it. And this is your sexual life. This is your sexual partner. Your Chevette. (laughs) That is, I don't think I've ever said that in church before. Okay, so. <laughs> but now what if you start looking at other people's Chevette's and say, I want to try out your Chevette. And you start driving other Chevette's. And then you go like, you know what, your Chevette's, now when you drive yours, you're like, mine doesn't handle as good as that one. You're like, that is a little faster than my Chevette. I don't know. And all of a sudden you start not liking your Chevette as much. See, so you want a lot of experience. You're actually not cultivating a healthy sexual relationship with your lifelong partner. You're creating unrealistic expectations. What if you spent your time looking at a bunch of pictures of people in their Chevette's and going like, man, they look like they're having fun in their Chevette. <laughs> I think it's a pretty good illustration. I don't know. <laughs> Some of you, okay, you don't like Chevette's. How about this next one? Okay, how about Lamborghini is your sex life, Okay. Or <laughs> all right, all right, all right, for me, I like this next one. What if a Porsche is yours? So, you know, a classic Porsche. The, this is yours. Take care of it, but stick to yours. Stick to yours. Now I know that uh, now that we've done this, and the the ladies are like, "Well, we're not visual. Come on, Ryan. Cars. Come on. Give me a break. You know what, ladies? When." The big thing about when you've been around, you know, let's say you've had a lot of experience with other people and there's comparisons You know guys, we, we think you're more visual than you are, but we worry about you comparing too Like we we think that you want us to be something like this you know, we We're worried that you're looking at someone like this or or here There you go or here Yeah Yeah <laughs> Alright, here we go. Your worship director is the one who said, oh, we've gotta put Superman in there. I have a thing for Superman. So, so I called Matt, her husband, and said, you gotta go get some blue tights and red underwear. Trust me. Put the underwear on top of the, tri- the tights. Your wife's gonna love you. And he's like, what? Just do it. Alright. We, sometimes as guys, we worry that you're, You want that, and we can't be that, because we know we're more like this. (laughs) Or better yet, we're this. (laughs) I thought I'd make you laugh a little bit in the middle of this. (laughs) Yeah, let's go ahead and power down the PowerPoint, yeah. (laughs) You see, having experience just brings in a whole lot of other issues. You don't need it. That's part of what happens when man reverses what God has intended to be good and powerful. And we say, no, we need it our way. So let's look at the text in Romans chapter one. If you turn there, this is the heart passage of. The series we're doing is in Romans chapter one, as we're looking at how mankind has taken what God has said is good and twisted it. Last week, Dale showed us that really this passage is about hedonism or doing whatever makes you feel good at the time. And in particular, Paul addresses the issue of sex. Taking how God has designed it and say, no, it should be about what I can get, not what I can give. So let's look at Romans chapter 1, verses 24 and 25, and look at man's reversal. It says this, God gave man over to their lusts of their hearts to impurity. So that their bodies would be dishonored among them. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Who is blessed forever. Amen. So Paul says the first reversal that we see. And I want to change on your outlines there. We said exchanging love for lust. And really what this is. We exchange creation for the or the creator for creation. We exchange what God has created for us. And we say, you know, what? we want to worship that we want to elevate that above the creator. And that's where the difference between love and lust comes in. When we say, God, we want this to be in the first place. We want this to be what gives us identity, what gives us strength, what gives us uh, a kind of power or, or make us feel affirmed. And God's saying, no, 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 that's just this is something that's good. That's for you. Let me be your strength, your identity, your power. Let me affirm who you are. But we say, no, let's take this and let this become what makes us who we are. We worship the creation. We exchange the creation for the creator. We want that. And so, and we ask the question, what can I get? Rather than the question, what can I give in my relationships? Instead of what can I give to my creator, we say, what do I get from my creator? Do you see the difference? We want God to give us what we want, what we think is best. And He gives us over. He used it several times in Scripture, and we're not going to turn there, but in Psalm 106, verse 20, it said that the Israelites exchanged God, who did all these great things for them, for something that they could see. They exchanged God for an image or an idol. In Acts chapter seven, verse 42, it says that God gave them over to the lusts in their heart. Because they wanted the creation instead of the creator. He gave them over. Now look, what God, what does God give them over to? Think all the way back to the garden. Adam and Eve, before they were sinful, God said, you can have anything you want in this garden but one tree. The fruit from one tree. What's the one thing they wanted? What they didn't have. Sexual sin, as most sins, begins when we focus on what we do not have. Do you notice that? If you're married, and you start focusing on what you don't have rather than you have. Sin is there. If you're not married, and I know it's harder truth. I know some of you are saying, Ryan, this is so easy for you because you're married. That's true. It's easier for me because I'm married. There's no question. It's no question. But it's scripture, and I believe in it. It's similar to if some of you who maybe have great wealth and you speak to me and you say, Ryan, you just need to be content in what God gives you. Be content that you rent a house. Be content because you know what? You have everything you need and that is true and that is factual. But it's harder for me to take that from you. Sometimes I go, oh, of course you can say be content because you have everything, right? So, But it doesn't make it any less of a sin or issue for me when I'm not content or when I'm greedy. It's just the way it is. So those of you who do not have the privilege right now in your lives of having a sexual relationship within marriage I know it's it's more difficult. This truth is more difficult, but it's still truth And i'm sorry for that, but that's truth <laughs> and there's a reason for it But notice what god gives us over to That was my soapbox i'm off it But god gives them over to you is he gives them over to what they wanted He handed them over and said, you can have what you think you want. Do you realize here the wrath of God in the garden was he let them have what they wanted. That was his wrath. Sometimes God's punishment on you is his saying, fine, you want it, have it. It's yours. C.S. Lewis in 1942 said the lost um, enjoy forever the horrible freedom that they have demanded and therefore they are self-enslaved. See, we often say, God, I want that one thing I don't have. And sometimes God says, fine, go get it. And what you find is that freedom you wanted actually enslaves you. It enslaves you to a life that you didn't mean to have. When you elevate creation over the creator, he might say, fine, you want that habit. And now you're stuck with that life or those consequences. The other thing they did is they exchanged exchanged the truth of God for a lie. The truth of God is that sex is a good thing and it's meant to enhance a relationship and it makes us stronger in a relationship. It can protect us. It bonds us. There's unity there. But on the surface, it's really not about sex. It's really about your relationship with God. It's really about saying God has designed this thing as something good and that is the truth. Do you know sex done God's way within a marriage relationship has great freedom? There's no guilt. Disease doesn't spread. It creates intimacy and joy. Outside of that, there's all kinds of problems that pop up. So the truth of God is he gave us, but we exchanged it for a lie. Now, how does this work? What does this look like? I believe this is really the heart of what idolatry really is. The heart of idolatry is saying, God, I put my knowledge or what I think is best above yours. When we say, I know better. How many of you look at scripture and say, yeah, that's kind of old fashioned. Ah, that doesn't work in today's world. That doesn't relate to me. That's just something that related to, you know, 2000 years ago. It's not the same. God's words are not applicable today. We have it better now. We know better. Culture says that all the time. You may have said it in your life. What you're doing in that case is you are putting yourself and your knowledge. When you say, I know best, you are becoming your own idol. You're saying, God, I believe you on almost everything else, but not this one. And we all do it, don't we? We pick and choose what sins we want to be passionate about. And they're usually not the ones we struggle with. <laughs> right? Because the ones we struggle with, we say, nah, it doesn't work anymore. Because that's my issue I didn't write it. It's in the bible (laughs) It's tough truth. I know I know But when we become the idol we say god I know better I know better our culture does it we do it we struggle with Let's end with something hopeful (laughs) because there is hope I know some of you, as I started off this morning, are here and you say, Ryan, I'm damaged goods. Something from your past makes you feel like, no, you're no longer worthy in God's eyes. Maybe it's the way you live your life and you say, I've been passed around or I've let myself be passed around. I am damaged goods. Maybe your marriage has been through some difficult things. Maybe there's been adultery. Maybe you're divorced and you're saying, hey, I've blown it. I've already lost it. Forget it. And you sit in here and you think, I already this doesn't apply anymore because i've already messed up I want you to listen to me listen to me clearly no matter where you're at in your life. You are not damaged goods You are not unworthy. That is a lie from the devil and that's the bottom line You are not damaged goods. God looks at you and loves you and wants to redeem you He'll take you where you're at and say, let's go from here with new life because that is what our God is about. I don't care what your past has been. He says the future is with me and it's better than your past. You are not damaged. Because don't stand there and say that it's too late. So therefore, who cares? That's not the truth. We've all messed up in different areas in our lives. Some sexual, some not, but we all mess up. And if God said that's it, Done then we all are hopeless and that is not scripture You are not damaged goods you can move on from here Whether it was adultery whether it's an addiction to pornography whether it's premarital sex Divorce whatever situation you find yourself in God wants to restore redeem and make you whole again That is truth of scripture You must understand that You can get help It's another thing you need to know some of you in here have addiction to pornography Some of you have an addiction to pornography. You can get help And and by the way, ladies don't just think that's a guy thing The largest growing population of those who are involved in pornography are women right now It may be because the market for men is already saturated But the truth is more and more women are addicted to pornography Pornography is a business that's over a billion dollars a year. Do you know if we never spent another penny on pornography in a few years, we could eradicate world hunger? The truth of God is better than the lies we've exchanged. Wouldn't you agree on that one? You can get help. If you're addicted, we have a group called Celebrate Recovery. They have a group just for people like you. And you say, well, I'm not ready for that. You know what? Let's at least as a church take the first step. I realized, you know, I have three boys and I realized this last week, you know, we need to, we don't even have software on our computers and we're going, we've, I've committed and I want you to commit with me to saying, we're going to make sure we have software on our computers, on our iPad that says we don't want pornography in our house. And it's not just for my boys. It's for me too, because I don't want the temptation. Wait, but you're a preacher. Yeah, I'm stupid too. Just like all of us, right? We need that. Will you commit with me to saying, let's be a church that protects purity? Ladies, if you are dating someone who says, if you do not have sex with me, you don't love me, then guess what? He does not love you and you can be done with that relationship. That is not love if he is saying that to you. That is not love. Men, if you are not man enough to love and to protect the purity of your girlfriend, then you need to become a man. I'm sorry, but you do you need to become a man and protect the purity of the sister or potential sister in Christ And one day if you protect your purity and you marry her. Hey, guess what? Enjoy what god has made for you Is it easy? Heck no, it's not easy It's not easy But is it the good way the right way to do it? Yes Be a real man and protect your purity You're not a real man just because you can get someone in bed with you. You're not. You think you are, but you're not. How many friends did I just make this morning? This is great. I know. (laughs) I know it's kind of passionate this morning, but the truth is this is something that's really a great gift from God. It's great for us saying we don't need to do it the ways of culture. There's a better way. And... I actually, my heart breaks for those of you who right now are not in a marriage relationship where you can enjoy this. I know that's difficult. I know some of you, this might even bring up issues in your own marriage where you think, we are so far from that right now, we've lost the spark. You might need to get help. You might need to contact us and say, I need some professional help, some counseling. We need to rekindle this love. And I would encourage you to pursue that. It's worth it. It's a difficult issue, but it's worth it. We're going to have the worship team come up. And as they come up, I want to end with a verse in 1 Corinthians. <laughs> I've never had a high five preaching either. That's awesome. <laughs> I want to end with this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. Nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, people who are apart from God and living a life, filling it up with what they want. Exchanging the truth of God for the lies of the world. I love verse 11 though. Such were some of you. Can I be so bold to change this? Such were all of us. All of us. But we are washed, we are sanctified, and we are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. We were, but we're not anymore. You can be whole. That's what this morning is about. We live in a culture that's going to say you're crazy, you're old-fashioned, Someone came up to me afterwards, the first one, and and mentioned Lolo Jones, the Olympian, um, Olympic runner. Even a good-looking girl, athlete, she's still a virgin. She said it's the most difficult thing she ever did, easier than training for the Olympics to protect her virginity. Culture will think you're crazy. It will. (laughs) But it's worth it. And our God's bigger than all of that. And it deserves our worship of our God. So let's end our time now.